from one Māori music genre to another. When revered composer Morvan Tianatipa Simon died in May this year, his work as a composer and writer of Māori classics was celebrated. Tunes like Te Aroha and Karangatiara are a few of his waiata whakangaho, or songs of entertainment. Keith Southern runs KSP Productions from his home, and for four decades he's recorded and produced Māori music with St Joseph's Māori Girls' School, Hatopaura College, the New Zealand Māori Chorale and Kaifaiki. It was his close friendship with Morvan Simon that prompted me to find out more about him when I visited his home in Paraparaumu. My uh, relationship with Morvan went back a long way, uh, I guess 25, 30 years. But I've been out here for uh, longer than I lived in England, put it that way. I've uh, been out here 45 years. And so your parents came from, where, where did you... Where I was you... born in England and lived the first half of my life there. And to be honest, uh, at that stage I knew nothing about Maridom. When I came out here it was something completely fresh. The first thing I did was to hear Howard Morrison Quartet. That was what sparked my interest in the first place. And uh, I was lucky enough to land a job with Viking Records. At that time we were doing a lot of Maori music. And it sort of went on from there. In those days, I mean, they sold heaven knows how many thousands of, of St. Joseph's uh, Now is the Hour, little EP, and that sold. Every tourist who came to New Zealand went away with a St. Joseph's EP in those days. <laughs> a lot of names that some of our older listeners will remember. I mean, Wiki Baker, you just saying Wiki Baker, I remember... Well, I mean, there was Maria Dallas, Peter Poser. Viking Records in those days was a very well-known name. Not today. They still exist. They still exist they today. They still exist. And we still talk to each other and do a little bit of business together. But, uh, yeah, been going a long time. And I hold my baby tight with all of my might. During the 1960s, Viking Records was the locally owned and operated label of the day, and on their books they had the largest collection of Polynesian music from Fiji, Tahiti, Samoa and Aotearoa. They represented artists including Bill Savisi, Peter Poser and the Ranana Senior Concert Party. What did you learn from that era? Well, I think the first thing I learned was that with a little bit of help I could pick up the odd Maori word or phrase, but at the age of 40, it's too late to learn the language. I found, anyway. I always felt that was a shame because I had a lot of fun with all the groups that I exactly. worked with. Exactly, <laughs> you were... I, I really had great fun. I could pick up the odd phrase and retain the odd phrase, but uh, I'm... Very keen on Pākehā learning the Māori language because I lost the opportunity because if you're going to do it, you've got to do it when you're young. It's no use doing it when you're approaching middle age. So you can retain that information. Mm. I remember all the people and the names. I remember all the songs that I've worked with. Um, that's really why I'm doing this sort of thing, writing um, music at the moment. I cheat <laughs> <laughs> the music comes out of a computer 
Have you ever seen one of these programs? Um, are you talking about Pro Tools or...? There's Morgan's music. Scorewriter. Also, you've got Etomato Matsua. Now, that's the one Lord's of his compositions prayer. that he did. This We're talking about Morgan Simon. That's right. Getting back to Morgan again. I found I needed a hobby when I packed up. And I liked doing the Murray music, so I wrote one-note melodies of all the Murray songs that I knew. So you can write music, yeah. Keith. Yeah. But you can write the music on this program. And you don't just write it, but it plays it back to you when you've written it. This is how... Um, shall I just yes, press the button yes, and definitely. see what happened? This is um, a new melody that Morvan did in his recent times, The Lord's Prayer in Maori. See what you think. on but that um is you just sit and put the little dots on the piece of paper and it plays it back to you see actually it works very well because um if you're like me i know the melody that i want i know the sounds of the chords that i want and it doesn't matter if it takes me two days to do, to do one of these pieces because you just play it there's some of more than songs. Why at the Kitao Takurako and Poi Poi Atsu Poi? Yeah. That's all done exactly the same way. It's a Poi medley by Hatapara College, Awa. Those are all more than songs. The boys sung them. Morvan never actually wrote the music for me. I took the music by ear off the recordings were done got the melody line up there like that and then type in make up the chords underneath but as I say the first book we did Century of Māori Song yes did the whole thing and quite by accident I pressed a button I found the thing <laughs> would play back to me I had no idea I'm totally amazed that more people don't latch on to a program like this. It's not expensive. I think it costs about $100. Put it in the computer, you can compose your own songs and play them straight back. In the 1970s, Keith was part of the New Zealand Māori Chorale. In their heyday, they sold tens of thousands of records. The group sung popular Māori Waiata of the day. Now, this would be Keith's first introduction into Māori music. As the years went by, Keith's knowledge, experience and work involved producing alongside Māori composers, such as the late Morvan Simon. 
He recorded at St Joseph's Māori Girls School and Hatopaura Māori Boys School. He even ran his own company. I used to run South Pacific Recordings, which is when Morven and I were doing all our work together. And the time came when I thought it was time to sell up and retire. <laughs> Biggest mistake of my life, as it happened, but still, that's another story. After a while, I had a phone call from Morven, and he said, Keith, shouldn't I be earning some money from some of my songs that, you know, that are selling well? I said, yes, you should. He said, well, how do I do it? I said, well, you assign them to a publisher, and that publisher will work on your behalf. He said, well, I don't know any publishers. And my old brain began to think, and I thought, well, maybe I could become a publisher, which was exactly what I did, <laughs> and set up what we're now operating as KSP Music. And we represent Morven in particular, who has over 120 songs registered with APRA. And I've been quite surprised to see, I'm not uh, yes, surprised, that the digital downloads that we hear about, I mean, it's not big dollars, but it, it's nice to, to think that people are interested in it. But over the years, um, it's been a very worthwhile thing. It was good for all the other groups that I went on to work with. The first thing I said up was, what about copyright? Oh, well, this is copyright, but those haven't been done. I said, well, OK, I'll assign them for you, put them through Amcos and APRA. Um, we got to the stage that every time we went to do a recording, what have you done about your copyright? Oh, nothing. And it's amazing, it still happens. One particular one, Maisie Ricker. Yes. Now, oh. I saw KSP recordings at the back of um, 20 Māori songs, Maisie Ricker. That's right. Well, yes. we did three recordings with her in short time. And that recording that Maisie did, Ahine, was the biggest one. And the college, I can say quite honestly, has earned thousands of dollars on copyright because that record sold so well. The copyright belongs to who, Keith? The copyright belonged in this instance to Georgina because they were her arrangements. So you, um, as you said before, um, were you the production house behind the album? Yes, Therefore, yes. You... I went up and actually produced it um, with my old mate Frank, Doug Frank Douglas who did the engineering. And then we registered all the copyrights with Amcos in Australia. And they collect, in fact, I'm hoping to get another check today because it's, <laughs> it's payday from <laughs> Amcos. <laughs> oh, right, OK. Um, so, so yes, um, this is something that I think Māori in general need to think about. If I think they're getting more wise to it now, particularly when they're writing their own songs. They should become members of APRA, 
register that thing. Because who knows, who's going to write the next poet or or whatever? Um, if they're not registered, they might be paid for them. And it's just a question of becoming a member of APRA. What important lessons did you did you learn from more, more than uh, Keith? Patience. Uh, if my wife heard me say this, she'd laugh her head off <laughs> because basically I'm a very impatient person. But put me in a recording situation with more than or with anybody else. And for some reason, uh, you know, no, no sense in the studio and losing your temper and trying to push things along. Patience, I think, is the main thing that I learned from him. I mean, it was a very, a very good friendship. I was always welcome when I went up to the par. And there wouldn't be many years went by that he and I didn't work together either on Hatopara, Kaifaiki, Ranana. Um, we both did a joint production for JREM Records. Uh, in fact, Kaifaiki did four albums for them, I think. But Morvan and I did it together t uh, for them. Keith has published five volumes of An Introduction to Māori Music. These are available in libraries. The books have easy-to-play arrangements of Waiata Māori. I started um, doing these songs and putting them into books and pushing them around the libraries. And uh, we've done about six volumes of them now. And the libraries come back for them and then the National Library. And, and the idea is that they, they can be used even with a learner pianist. Notice there's only two or three notes on each chord on oh. So it's kept very simple where the earlier ones are notes all over the place. Yeah. But these are intentionally kept very simple so that a learner pianist or somebody who just wants to know what the Mary melodies are and not being able to play the piano too well or whatever. Right. Um, and that seems to have caught on. What is your perception now of the music and record industry? I'm at a loss to answer that, honestly, because everything has changed yes, of so course. much. Of course. I mean, look, when I came into the industry, we were selling cassettes, nothing else, cassettes and EP records. And, of course, before all that was the LP records... But they died a death when cassettes came out mm. and we thought, oh, it'll be the end of the record industry. Oh, it'll be the end. Terrible. Not next, next thing we knew was CDs were coming CDs round. CDs came corner. out. Um, was it in the 80s the CDs came out? Yeah. Yeah. And when they did come out, there were only two record companies in the world who were actually producing them for a while because they were so way out and they had to be in air airtight produced in airtight conditions so there's no dust or anything like this but you know that's how things have changed and now we don't even need anything that we can feel it's all about no, a file right. so and a computer. i'm very glad actually that i'm not uh, a young man coming into the record industry because i wouldn't have a clue what's going to happen in the next 10 years it's frightening and you've got to keep up with it technically. Well, that leaves me out of it. Technical, I am not. 
<laughs> Let's talk about the equipment you used in the 70s. What did you, when you went to Hatsopolda oh, or St. Joseph? Oh, Revox 77 recorders. Um, reel to reel. Reel to reel, yeah, ten and a half inch ball. And I still think they were magnificent. It all came down to the microphone. We used Sennheiser microphones and AKG202 microphones. And the quality was immaculate. That's one thing about it. You look at um, or you listen to recordings today, chances are they could have been made with a very old microphone because microphones basically haven't really changed over the years. The things that have changed have been the technical processes and the speakers and so on. Microphones is <laughs> basically the same as we're using now. This could be okay. Um, we didn't have little pieces of equipment like that, of course. The little tape recorder is rather amazing. Yes, yes, digital, digital world. What have been some of your most, uh, when you've been recording alongside Morvan Keith, what have been, um, I don't know, some stand, you've obviously mentioned Hatsopolda, some of the standout experiences into the night? Did you record way into the night, early in the morning? No, no, that was the thing that was always surprising with Morvan. He'd always got the boys very well tutored, and a recording session would perhaps be three or four hours. That was it. It was finished. It was as quick as that. Um, St. Joseph's were much the same. They were very fast. But otherwise, you'd normally be looking at a day. The Maori Chorale would be, have been over two or three days. Then, of course, we had the symphony orchestra playing with them to uh, accommodate. So mm. that was quite a different thing. But again, you see, things have changed so much you couldn't afford to go into the studio to record a Maori group with a symphony orchestra. We used to know what it would cost us for each number of players. <laughs> I'd shudder to think what it would be today. I really would. But it's going to be a sad world as far as I'm concerned because Morvan has always been there. It didn't matter if you didn't see him for a week, a month, six months. Everything was the same every time you met. It's sad that he ain't there anymore. Who can you think of? Is he the last of our great composers? You know, No, I think not. Um, he's the last of that type, but there are lots of them. All the Kapahaka groups have some beautiful compositions coming out. I remember... The only time that I record, recorded the Maori Festival. Oh, what year? 2002. Where were you? Was it Taranaki? I was inside the, oh. uh, the, the broadcast unit. And they gave me a feed onto my microphones. And uh, it was fascinating. We recorded every single group, one by one by one, all the way through. Toy Maori. Um, organised it. I was very friendly with Gary Nicholas at the time and they they hadn't managed to record all the festivals. And I said, well, I'll do it. <laughs> I said, OK, well, I'll fix it up. And I was planted in the um, sound control desk and just ploughed through every group that, as they came on and we made a, little, a CD of every performance which Toy Maori should still have. 
the idea was that there were, for posterity, there is mm. the the festival of 2002 and there is every group. So, 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 Keith, you can comfortably... So today, are you able to kind of go into a sound unit and navigate your way around still? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you never... Something you never forget. <laughs> and I've, I've had this sort of gear in the house now for about 15 years. So I, I do still do some work for people. Not a lot, but yes. um, just enough to... Yes. Keep busy. <laughs> well, Kate Tera, Kate Southern, thank you so much for having me in your home here in um, the lovely Paraparomi. We're about a half an hour drive outside of Wellington. Thank you so much. Thank Kia you ora. very much for coming. Thank it's you. It's been a pleasure.